The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half, the podcast where we get into all the stuff we didn't have time for on the main show. This is mini-episode 39.5, and by this point, you've already enjoyed our 30th reunion roundtable event. Yes, we gathered 13 members of the wizard staff and got them together to reminisce and pitch an imaginary 30th anniversary issue. It was a wild, wild event. We actually had over 20 former staff members scheduled, but just different things came up over the course of time and in the final hours leading up to it, so who knows? We may even have a follow-up soon enough. But I love doing these mini-episodes. There are so many things to get into. So Michael, why don't you kick us off with the Wave Riders Wayback Machine. Here we are. It's November 1994. And boy, oh boy, there is some music to talk about. First, right off the top, as I mentioned last month, was coming in one of my favorite albums of all time, Nirvana MTV Unplugged, came out on November 1st. Also in the rock category, we've got Pearl Jam's Vitology, which I remember this CD was like a leather-bound sort of a thing, or it was a very unique CD case. It wasn't your normal jewel case. Super, super great. Next, we have in the R&B categories, TLC came out with Crazy Sexy Cool on November 15th. If you were around in the mid-90s, TLC was everywhere. This was a monster of an album. Next we have Mary J. Blige, My Life, another huge album. Then my birthday brother Prince came out with the Black Album on November 22nd. I love Prince. Anything Prince has ever done, always been my favorite. We share a birthday, Prince rules. Now, I have to say this. This is very important. This falls under the R&B category, but it might melt your brain. November of 1994. The quintessential, iconic, every year you're going to hear this for the rest of your life. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You came out on November 1st of 1994. Holy cow. Wow. Melt your brain. Yeah. Enjoy it. You'll hear it forever. In the metal category, Buckethead, who eventually, I believe this is the same Buckethead, that formed the revamped Guns N' Roses for a little while, which I saw in concert at the Garden back in, like, 2002, had an album called Giant Robot. I don't know if it's the same Buckethead or not. Maybe not. 
You'll probably tell me if I'm wrong. And I'm going to jump in here, Michael. It is the same Buckethead. How do I know I'm a huge Buckethead fan? Yes, I didn't see him with Guns N' Roses. I found out about him years before seeing him open for Primus. And I love me some Buckethead. I have many, many of his albums. I've seen him several times in concert live on his solo tours. And yes, Giant Robot is a great album. It's basically about him trying to build his own theme park and he has like bucket bots and he has all these different characters that are helping him build it in between songs it's kind of a concept album but he also has some fun covers on this album he does pure imagination he does the pirate's life for me from pirates of the caribbean he does the star wars theme but in addition to that he just has a lot of super fun songs and fun fact for wizards listeners whenever you hear this siren sound That sound you hear in the background, that is actually Buckethead's signature robot guitar sound. He has these really interesting effects that he puts on it, and he has blazing fast fingers. So that's just my little drop in to praise Buckethead. Uh, Back to you, Michael. And that's the music of 1994 in November. Let's talk about some movies. The top grossing movie of that month, Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles. I had no idea there was a colon, The Vampire Chronicles in this title, but there it is. This is a movie that I am not excited to watch when it comes to Box Office 30 when we get to November of 94. This movie gave me so much nightmares. It was like, I'm scared to watch this movie. I hope it loses to The Santa Claus. Wow. That got beat out by Interview with the Vampire? That's crazy. I I never would have guessed that. Then we have Star Trek Generations. Another huge, huge movie. Also, in November of 94. So, this is kind of interesting. I didn't know this. Interview with the Vampire and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein both came out in 1994 in November. Did not know that. That is fascinating. The Miracle on 34th Street. I liked the remake. It was that it was much later than that. Go figure. I didn't know. One thing that I want to point out, and this is really, really important to me. If you know anything about me when it comes to movies in particular, this is a movie that I absolutely love. I rave about this movie to anybody I've ever spoken to. This is a near-perfect movie, if you ask me. It is Leon the Professional which is a Jean Renault and Natalie Portman movie directed by Luc Besson. And it's probably one of the best Gary Oldman movies you'll ever see in your life. Danny Aiello's in this movie. This movie is stacked. If you have not seen Leon the Professional, either the American edit or Leon, the original version of the movie, which is a little bit better, go see it. Go find it. See it. It's One of those movies that will be transcendent because it does things with cinematography that are just mind-blowing. It's a beautiful story, and that is the Wave Riders Wayback Machine for November of 1994. Let's go back to Adam. And now it's time for the return of Hunk and Babe of the Month. It hurts, and I am too sexy for Milan, too 
This month's babe is Vogue. Okay, what are the first two things you notice on Vogue? Uh... No, we were actually thinking of her smooth alabaster skin and styling purple hair. But we could see how those might be the third and fourth things you'd notice. Jeez, if she were to wear that stretched out tank top backwards, she'd look like the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Vogue here keeps busy in the government-sponsored super team Youngblood, chasing bad guys all over the world and beating the bejesus out of them. Good work if you can get it. Her only problem is that she really wants to leave the team and get back to running her cosmetics company. Seeing as how many things on Vogue are cosmetic, that's probably not such a bad idea. Yeah, Vogue here is one of those characters that I always got confused with, I think, another... I think she's on Cyber Force, is it Velocity? Where she also, her skin is all white, and she has a green costume with, like, a yellow thunderbolt that goes across, I don't know. But yeah, Vogue, I don't know what her powers are, although it sounds like, in this case, that she's just rich and probably really good at gymnastics. That always seem to be like, yeah, they're just really good at jumping around. Alright, but our hunk of the month, oh, I know about him, it's Captain America. Hey, Cap's got a pretty tight butt. In fact, you could probably crush a walnut between the Sentinel of Liberty's butt cheeks. You know, as goofy a section as Hunkin' Babe is, it's the only place where you could get away with writing this kind of stuff. Cap crushes walnut in butt cheeks. You never see a headline like that in Wizard News. So aside from looking like the perfect Nazi Ubermensch, tall, muscular, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, what does Cap have going for him? In a day and age of lost values and misplaced priorities, Cap never lies, drinks, smokes, or does drugs. Heck, he isn't even glued to the tube watching sports. The only drag is that his girlfriends usually get killed off or beat up. But hey, remember, tight butt. Yes, so that is our picture here. It's definitely from a Marvel swimsuit issue, but he is on a red, white, and blue beach towel that very much looks to be based on his costume, but he is just in blue Speedos, and he is laying down reading a book and then looking over his shoulder with glasses on like, hey, what are you looking at? But yeah, it's weird too because his trunks look to be the actual trunks from his costume, and because it's got a belt on it with belt loops and stuff, so it was just kind of like, huh, I guess that's how you want to go commando in the opposite sense? Uh, you're, you're only wearing this and not the rest of your costume, but yeah. Hey, welcome back, Hunkin' Babe of the Month. And speaking of Captain America, it's time for my favorite segment on the Wizards Half Episodes, Cap's Kooky Contests. Guys, I really, really enjoy getting into the nitty-gritty of these contests. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe bought the magazine just so they could win stuff. I'm actually surprised how many of the issues that we have in the archive do not have the coupons clipped out. But let's see what we got here first. Ah, it's the Wildstorm Art Contest. Wizard says, so you want to be an artist, but you can't get anyone to look at your work? Well, now's your chance, sweet pants, because the fine folks over at Wildstorm Productions and Wizard Press have teamed up to make you a star. So the grand prize, five lucky fans will have their art renditions printed as part of an upcoming Wildstorm card set. You can't beat that, can you? 
So how do you enter? Simple. All you gotta do is pick your favorite Wildstorm character. That's anyone from the pages of Wildcats, Gen 13, Union, Deathblow, Kindred, Wetworks, and Stormwatch. Give us your best black and white pencil line art entry. If you send it in color and or inked, you'll be disqualified from this contest and your chances of winning become zero. Uh, fill out the coupon here, gingerly attach it to the back of your artwork, stuff everything in an envelope, stick a stamp on it, and ship the whole thing off. So, that's a pretty sweet deal, man. You could be part of an official Wildstorm trading card set? I wonder how many people that got into that ended up working at Wildstorm at some point. Now, here's the thing. If you've been paying attention to our Caps Cookie Contest segments, you'll recall that what they've been doing is putting the results of past contests on these pages. They're not doing that anymore. But what they do have is legal stuff. And actually, many people on social media have mentioned how much they loved looking at the jokes that were shoved into the fine print. So we're going to go through some of those today, okay? So first off here, it says, no purchase necessary. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press and Wildstorm Productions, their immediate families, and Jim Lee's older brother Stan and younger brother Jay. So of course, as we know, Jay Lee, Jim Lee, and Stan Lee no relation, but why not throw a joke in there, you know? Now, this is just random out of nowhere. It says, Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. What the hell is edible underwear made of? Like, <laughs> no context, no nothing. That's it. Pretty interesting here. Let's move on to the next one. So for the second issue in a row, we have a Top Cow contest here with a nice yearbook photo of Mark Silvestri. It says here, Top Cow no more. Yep, that's right. Mark Silvestri's had it with Top Cow Production Studio, and only you can save it. Now, before you freak out or something, relax. Mark's not quitting comics, and he's staying with Image. He's just moving his studio. He's also tired of the name Top Cow Productions and wants to rename it. That's where you come in. By choosing a cool new name for his studio, you can win all sorts of neat stuff, like one grand prize winner, a trip to the new studio in Los Angeles, California. You and a friend, one of you has to be 18 or over, by the way, we'll hang out with Mark and the guys, get a full tour of the new studio, and have dinner with the entire staff. You'll also get round-trip airfare, hotel accommodation, and loads of Top Cow goodies. And to think, all you gotta do is come up with a spiffy new name for Mark's studio. So go wild, pick an awesome name, or a goofy name, whatever you think sounds cool enough to work. So, pretty weird, right? Like, he wanted to change the name of Top Cow Productions, Inc. As we know, this doesn't happen. He sticks with Top Cow. Top Cow continues to produce even more popular comics in the years that are to come. So, this is kind of weird. Uh, they mentioned here in the fried the fine print is listed as legal Latin. Okay, and so once again, they say contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press and Top Cow Productions, their immediate families, and anybody who spells Mark with a K. How unhip are you? Because for those who don't know, Mark Silvestri spells his name Mark with a C at the end, okay? Also, the last little bit that they threw in here is, why are they changing Top Cow's name? And to what? Wildstorm? Extreme? Everybody has a superheroish sounding name. Why? I joined the crowd. Top Cow is a hilarious name, and their logo, the planet Earth with an utter at the bottom? Hysterical. Ah, oh, well, c'est la vie. 
So maybe Mark Silvestri ultimately read that fine print and was like, you know what? I guess it is pretty unique. We'll stick with Top Cow. All right. Next up here is called From the Ashes, and it has a picture of G. Gray as Dark Phoenix. So here's what it says. What's the best way to spend a rainy Saturday afternoon? Why? By destroying a solar system and witnessing the deaths of millions of helpless innocents. Wahoo! Now, with the help of the Dark Phoenix saga and your buddy's a wizard, you can... The grand prize? A set of the superbly excellent Dark Phoenix Saga books consisting of Uncanny X-Men number 129 through 138. Easily one of the best stories to ever grace the comic book page by two of the finest creators out there, John Byrne and Chris Claremont. Now you want to know how to win all those keen issues, eh? Well, it's simple. Just fill out that official Destroy the Solar System coupon below, slip it in an envelope, and latch a stamp onto your letter and mail the whole thing off to the address below. We'll pick one lucky fan out of a hat and give the rest of the entries to gambit to charge up as weapons so they actually say officially the name of the contest is the destroy the solar system contest and gene gray as dark phoenix is saying here just try to read the legal copy now puny humans go on dark phoenix dares thee you know i never really noticed until now how puny you all are compared to me you're all so itty so the reason it says that is the fine print is white text over the red and yellow flame effects in this panel that they pulled. And so you can't read it. Like, it's, it's really hard to make out because the yellow especially fades it out. But, like, one of the questions, as far as I can tell, it, it just says, What the hell are you, you, you? Like, that's as much as I can read from that sentence. I don't know what that means. But there's another one that does come out and they just say, What does the X and X-Men stand for anyway? And it's like, wow, I, I think you guys know that. That's a weird one to put in. But yeah, so, so that, unfortunately, all the jokes that might have been part of the fine print were wasted. But I like that whoever, probably Steve Blackwell or whoever was in the design department saw this and said, Oh, you know what? They're not going to be able to read about that. Let's put a word balloon in there. Let's make a joke. Now, this next one here is a little bit random to me, only because there is an article in here about Randy Bowen statues, but as far as I can tell, this is not a Randy Bowen statue. This is the monkey's monkeys contest and it says no sir nothing spells excitement more than half naked chick and a couple of huge monkeys and thanks to your pals at dark horse and wizard press you can live the excitement the grand prize is two awesome assembly kits of the monstrous King Kong, both produced by the masters at Dark Horse. The first, a cold cast porcelain kit, features the gargantuan gorilla in chains, ready to burst out roaring. Then there's the soft vinyl model, which has the banana-eaten lug showing off that ape angst we know and love so well, and holding that poor babe whom we know he loves so well. Speaking of babes, you'll also be getting a ready-made, beautiful jasmine cold cast statue straight from the pages of Dark Horse's John Burns next men put her between the two Kongs and just watch him duke it out. I gotta say, actually, I'm a big next men fan, so it would be cool to have a jazz statue. So, how do you win this exciterific contest? Simple. Just fill out the official Dark Horse contest coupon below, slap it in an envelope, hang a stamp on it, and mail the whole thing off to the address below. We'll pick one winner out of a hat, and if you're it, boom, we mail you the monkeys. <laughs> But yeah, now this is what they say here in the fine print. It says, of course, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press and Dark Horse, their immediate families, and anybody who doesn't think that King Kong was the coolest darn monkey ever to get shot by a biplane and fall to his death from the Empire State Building. Then they go on here to say, come to think of it, 
What poor sap had to clean up the street after King Kong went splat? And tell me the hot dog street vendors didn't run sales that month. Oh no. Kong dogs? I wonder if anybody's actually ever even done that. Like back in the day when King Kong was huge and you sell like a foot long or just an extra large frankfurter and you got the Kong wiener. Maybe we don't go there. <laughs> Now, the final contest, direct from hell. It is the Spawn Rules Contest. Seeing how Spawn sells about a gajillion copies every month, we figure you fans out there must really like the little bugger. Not just like, but love him. With that in mind, we're going to put your Spawn knowledge to the test. One grand prize winner will receive a set of the Todd McFarlane Productions Spawn action figures. Spawn, Medieval Spawn, Violator, The Clown, Malbolgia, Overt Kill, and Tremor. A complete set of the Spawn comic book series number 1 through 24, copies of Spawn Batman, Batman Spawn, and an official Spawn baseball cap signed by the main man himself, Todd McFarlane. Now, the only way you can win any of this cool stuff is to take a gander at those five Spawn heads shown below and figure out the specific issue in which that particular Spawn mug showed up. Most of the comics we used are strictly Spawn issues, but remember, he's appeared in a few other books. It's just that simple. And once you're done with that, fill out the official Spawn coupon below, stuff it in an envelope, voice it a stamp, in any way you like, Ugh. slap it on your entry, and mail it off. So, what have we got here in the fine print this time around? Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard, Press, their immediate families, and anybody who felt McFarlane drew better in his Infinity Inc. days. Yeah, for those who don't know, his first big, big work was working on DC Comics Infinity Inc. Uh... <laughs> Though it is kind of false advertising, nobody would buy pork and beans if the label read pork and fat. Yeah, I guess that's just an observation while you're looking at your food storage. I don't know, while you're at the supermarket. Yeah, but you're gonna buy pork and fat or pork and beans. Well, there you go. There are Cap's kooky contests for this issue. And man, what a wild ride in the fine print, eh? Now Michael's gonna tell us what he's been reading in... Canetti's Corner. In this installment of Kennedy's Corner, I'm going to talk about a what-if story. And this what-if story is Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow. And this basically is about what if Peter Parker kept the symbiote suit. There's four issues in this story. If you like an Elseworlds story, if you like a what-if story, this is great. It's creepy. It's crazy. It's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. If you want something different from the standard continuity and kind of step outside of your comfort zone and read something a little bit different about Spider-Man, this is a really cool book. It's maybe in trade at this point or coming out in trade soon, but if it's Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow. Definitely check it out. I just recently watched the Bill and Ted Face the Music movie. And I've talked about this a little bit because I'm a huge Bill and Ted fan and I love the first two movies. And I wanted to see this when it came out, but I wasn't going to pay on demand for it or like a, whatever it was when it first came out in September. And I wasn't going to see it in the theater. It finally came out on Hulu and I watched it. I didn't hate it. 
A lot of people thought this was awful. It wasn't what I had hoped it would be, but it was not awful. It doesn't even really relive the nostalgia of the first movie, but it's fun. If you want a mindless 90 minutes, and it's like 90 minutes on the nose, go ahead and give it a watch. Also, if you haven't been watching Loki on Disney+, Plus. What are you doing with your life? You need to be watching this show. Get on Disney+, Plus. watch Loki. Holy cow, it is whew, cuckoo bananas. It is it's big time. I really, really love it. Owen Wilson is awesome in it. Tom Hiddleston is great in it. Every single character in this show is awesome. And it could literally be a multi-hour movie pieced together because it literally picks up almost where it leaves off each episode. So go and watch that on Disney+. Plus. And that is is Kennedy's Corner. Thanks, Michael. Well, we've seen what you were checking out. Let me tell you what I've been reading, because we're going to get into Robin's Reading Rainbow. And actually, the name of this segment is apropos this time around because I'm getting into the Bat books. Yes, haven't done a lot of Batman on Robin's Reading Rainbow, but here in the more picks section for issue 39, they list Batman number 513 and Wizard describes it as the new Batman. What the? Didn't they just have a new Batman? It better not turn out to be Alfred or that old bag Aunt Harriet or something. Tackles a whole lot of criminals set loose by the master of the two-step, Two-Face, by Doug Mensch. Lee Weeks, and Joe Rubenstein. The story continues in Detective Comics 680 when the Bat Guy comes face to face Two-Face, get it? With Two-Face by Chuck Dixon and Lee Weeks. It's all part of a 12-issue event called Prodigal, which stars Dick Grayson as Batman. That's right, so Azrael is gone, so is Bruce Wayne again, and Dick Grayson has taken over as Batman. Now, I I didn't go and read all the issues in this series because they seem to be in like little three-issue arcs. So I just decided to go with the three issues that were talked about in this issue, the other one being being Shadow of the Bat, number 33. So in Batman, number 513, it's actually a pretty intense cover because we have Two-Face doing his best leather face impression. He's got a chainsaw that is pointed right at the reader, but it's cutting through an empty Batman costume, just right through the cowl, tearing it to shreds. And we open up with Double Deuce. (laughs) Double Deuce, if any of you are strong bad fans out there but anyway so you have batman and robin they're in the hall of records i guess and so two-face is there with his goons they're all wearing green overalls i I don't know what's going on there with the outfits but essentially it's a showdown between batman robin and two-face with a chainsaw okay but batman warns robin not to provoke him and then basically they just let him get away and so it's kind of weird like because they didn't bring the batmobile he says yeah maybe this was the one time we should have taken the batmobile rather than the subway rocket so it's really kind of anticlimactic you're like are they gonna face oh no they just let him go and you find out why because they get back to the bat cave and you see dick take down the cowl which by the way he has a ponytail under the cowl and he and tim are having a heart to heart where he explains that in his first encounter ever when he was robbed 
cabin that he choked essentially and Two-Face had Batman and this other guy on a noose and he said the other guy died and Batman almost died because he failed to act and so he's like kind of can't handle making a mistake again where it comes to Two-Face uh so anyway uh, there actually is a really cool shot which just as they cut to Two-Face in his lair where you see he's in a room and he is standing in the middle of it and each side is painted differently you know so it's just again with his duality and all that but what we find out is Two-Face's plan here is that he actually is talking about how all of the records that are computerized are ones and zeros right ones and zeros ones and zeros there's the two parts that make up binary code that makes up computer programming and he's going to disrupt that which will destroy all the records of the criminals in Gotham City. And so as a result, you see these criminals being booked. And the guy said, I ain't even had a trial yet. The computer printout says you did, just like everyone else here. Although I sure don't know where to put all you people. And so that becomes the big issue is they have to arrest all these people because the computer is messed up telling them, well, this person should be in jail. This person should be in jail. But they don't know what their sentences are. They don't know they're a pickpocket if they're a mass murderer. Like, they just don't have any of the electronic records. And so, as a result, like, it's throwing everything into chaos because the prisons are overcrowded. One particular bus of prisoners get taken over and they crash into this building and get free. So, Batman and Robin are showing up to basically get everything back under control. And they do. They just fight all the prisoners and thugs. But the weird thing is in this... Commissioner Gordon, he is not trusting Batman anymore. He says, him again. The third one. When Batman shows up, so he's saying the third one, like, Commissioner Gordon has already understood that, okay, there was the original Batman he'd been dealing with for years, there was Azrael, and then there was this new one that has showed up and so he is distrusting of Batman and that is really the focus of the th- next installment in Shadow of the Bat number 33 because you see that he is like just stressed out he is overworked and so Sarah she is now like working right next to him and so she basically says well why don't you call Batman this is like the perfect thing for him to do and he says which one there have been at least three Batman in the last six months and only in idiot would trust any of them you know so it's like this big deal where she thinks he's calling her an idiot so now there's gonna be trouble at home so that's a big stressful thing also you see over on this island prison okay that they are really stressed out because they're bringing more and more and more they say we don't have any room for these criminals and they're saying well why don't you put them in with the arkham inmates you have here they're like no there was a riot last time so there's this one particular guy named tate who says, ooh, we're going to start a riot. Like, that's a great idea because we got all these people here. We could be in charge type of thing. And so, yeah, there's a a riot that takes place there. So Batman and Robin have to show up at the prison to try and defuse the situation. What's interesting is that they suit up in these cool, like, mechanized Batwing glider suits. You know, it's just like kind of like, you know, a harness that they have these big metal Batwings. But it's interesting because they're also 
suited up. And then all of a sudden, Robin says, maybe I should sit this one out. And so he's like, okay, well, you want to wuss out? Go ahead and wuss out, Robin. Now, I want to mention something I'm noticing in these issues about Dick Grayson as Batman. He's basically just like no nonsense. He's not like quippy or clever like he was as Robin or Nightwing. You know, like he's just, he's so grim and serious. Now, I think that's more of a character trait because they're saying he's so on edge because he's got this past history with Two-Face, but it kind of makes him less fun and it you can't even tell him apart from the Bruce Wayne Batman. I wish they would have put like some new addition to the costume, like at least when Azrael had like the very sharp gauntlets on that shot things, you know, like it was like, okay, it looks like Batman, but he's upgraded a little. I feel like that would have helped just to set this era of Dick Grayson as Batman aside, but basically he just goes in, he manages to defuse the riot and everything that's going on. I will say there's one particularly awesome moment where he gets a spotlight and points it down at Tatum, the guy who's leading the riot. And so you just see this yellow spotlight go on him and then he actually jumps in front of it. So it's like, you know, the bat signal, but it's made out of a living Batman. And then later he puts a batarang onto the light so that when Gordon shows up, the Batman was here. Everything's all right. And then Gordon's like, I wish it was. I really wish it was. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting way of him kind of sending the signal like, hey, I took care of it. There's also a cool Two-Face homage with Batman himself, Dick Grayson, under the cowl. Because on one side, he says, fear clutches his heart like a living thing, but his flight never falters. So you have him in kind of like a worried face, and it's a lighter blue, and then it cuts to the other half of his face where it's a darker shadow and he's gritting like he's determined. He is the Batman. He will win the day or perish trying. You know, like, this is a really good crew uh, working on this shadow of the Bat, even though Batman and Robin don't really show up until the last half of the book. So everything else is just like the side characters and the prison and all that. But I do want to mention the art in this Shadow of the Bat issue is by Brett Blevins, which is a name like I feel I've heard somewhere, but it really looks like the art of Paul Poe. Hope, uh, who is, you know, a guy who did a lot of indie books. And also, it looks a lot like what Jeff Smith did in his book called Razzle. So I, I don't know who created this style first, but Brett Blevins, I was like, wow, that's a really familiar line that he is using. So anyway, in the final installment here, we have Detective Comics number 680. And, and you see Two-Face, he's got this guy captured and his name is Harvey Kent. And apparently something happened where the thing that set Two-Face off to say, I want to destroy the police records is that Harvey Kent was released instead of Harvey Dent because of some clerical error. And so now Two-Face, it gave him the idea to disrupt everything. Like, I don't, I don't really get it. Like, cause Robin even calls Oracle and he's asking her, he's like, Hey, you know, do you see a pattern? Usually everything has to do with duality when it comes to Two-Face. And apparently the duality, I guess that they're pointing at is Harvey Kent and Harvey Dent and Harvey Dent 
president as two faces saying, you know, there's two sides to everybody and all this stuff and you're my doppelganger. I guess it's kind of a stretch if you ask me, but Robin tries to go in and save the day and fails. He gets captured. He gets strapped to a table along with Harvey Kent. And it is very much like a 60s Batman episode because what we have is Two-Face has above them these giant platforms. He says, see, I cut one of these lines and one of you gets crushed under a ton of paperwork. 2,000 pounds to be exact. So it's kind of this like ironic thing. Paperwork gave me the idea. Now I'm going to kill you with paperwork. So anyway, Robin is hoping at the last minute that Batman will show up and he does and he saves the day. So it's just one of those things where it's closure supposedly for Dick Grayson because okay I didn't choke this time I did defeat Two-Face and so on and so forth Um, it wasn't as satisfying as I would have liked and again I was hoping for more to make Dick Grayson as Batman stand out I know later on when he is Batman to Damien's Robin there's a lot more of like a fun dynamic there because Damien is so sassy but Tim Drake is such kind of a straight-laced guy that even when Azrael was Batman he was the one keeping it together so I think there's kind of less fun to be had there now as a bonus the other thing we talked about in the wizard news section of this episode was Batman number 682 that was going to be the debut of the black costume of Bruce Wayne coming back as Batman and wearing this all black costume that looked like it came from the movies so this is like you know a couple issues after this prodigal storyline was going on and I'm looking here and Bruce Wayne is back but it opens on like him falling like he misjudged throwing a bat line and he says no this was my fault i thought i'd recovered from vega's attacks my reflexes and perceptions are still a hair off he just decides he's gonna go home which is weird and get some rest and robin makes a joke about doctor's orders and then there's this woman who is romana vrazenski who has this red star in the middle of her forehead and she's part of this troika i think that's the name of the storyline they're like these Russian nationalists or gangsters that have taken over the Gotham criminal underworld and they're basically just like threatening Lucius Fox who's been running Wayne Corp while Bruce Wayne was gone and saying like you're gonna pay us protection money and all this stuff it's 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 kind of just not a real interesting story because basically you have the KG Beast I think is who this is and he is given the orders by the Troika to go ahead and just like destroy a Wayne Tech plan and destroy parts of Gotham so Robin shows up and he's tried to stop him but he says the last time that I went up against this guy I had to be saved by Kingsnake who is Tim Drake's arch nemesis at this point and then it just ends with you know the KG beast essentially going to uh, you know do some more destruction but there is barely any Batman in this issue the cover of it is all Batman on this gargoyle in the new black costume and there is no black costume not even a hint that he is changing his costume in this issue i would have felt so ripped off back in the day if i bought this special cover that's like oh yeah this is the start of something new and then nothing happened so yeah that was a big disappointment so if any of you were listening to the episode and said oh i gotta check that out that detective comic 682 don't do it okay (laughs) definitely not worth it it is not anything to get excited about so next up it's time to check out our top 10 heroes and villains of the month
All right, so in the number one spot, as always, we have Spawn. Number two is Spider-Man. Number three is Batman. They have been the trio at the top for all this time. But now at number four, we have Pitt once again. And I find this really fascinating. Here's what they say. The beakless behemoth continues to pop up all over the image universe these days. Surely a testament to his enduring and escalating popularity. It almost reminds us of when Marvel had characters like the Punisher, Wolverine, Cable, and Ghost Rider popping up in every title from Death's Head to Terror Inc. The difference with Pitt is that while he pops up in other people's books, he never seems to be on the stands with his own. So while readers may tire of certain characters due to oversaturation, it appears that Pitt's standing in the hot character community is pretty safe for the time being, thanks to his infrequent solo adventures. Yeah, so apparently Dale Keough not keeping it on schedule, going along with the old image philosophy of it comes out when it comes out and you will wait. But it could be that that was the secret to their popularity and maybe Pitt's at this time. If you keep it from people, maybe it just makes them want it more. Maybe fewer people stopped buying the book and more people were just saving up their pennies for when it did come out. So, number five is Gambit. Number six, representing those bad girls, we got Lady Death. And, uh, yeah, this one's a little difficult, but let's get into it. Ain't she? No, not she. The purtiest little filly you ever done laid your peepers on? One thing's for sure, though. You guys out there wouldn't want this embodiment of death to get under your skin, or its curtains for more than just your heart. With the current bad girls craze riding high in the market, and with her important role in the upcoming Evil Ernie Revenge series, it looks like Lady Death who should definitely be played by Anna Nicole Smith in a live-action flick, if they ever make one, and if she loses 50 pounds. Come on, guys. My goodness. It's called Zaftig. It's a look. We'll be hanging around these charts a while. So yeah, I mean, I agree, except that I don't because Anna Nicole Smith was a terrible actress, but it would have been interesting if she played Lady Death in a movie. I'll be honest, I think that Shannon Tweed would have been an awesome Lady Death in a 90s live action film. But moving on. Number seven is Ripclaw. Number eight is She. And here's another bit of dangerous conversation they get into. She certainly doesn't look very chipper here. Might be because people mistake her for a mime and slap the crap out of her. Which is standard procedure if you see a mime, by the way. Except for that unfortunate case of mistaken identity, she has a lot to be happy about. Coming out of left field as far as comics go, the heroine made a thunderous splash onto the hot scene and is currently riding high on the waves of the bad girls trend. So, what does the future hold for Miss Ishikawa? It's looking pretty good, because the series has been developing the character and storyline of She very carefully, which makes it likely that when this trend settles down a bit, She will have a lot more to offer than just her good looks. And that is actually what we heard, right, from our guest on episode 39. Tom told us that She was actually a well-written book with amazing art, and now that the She Omnibus is coming out, maybe the rest of us will be able to find out if that is true. All right, number nine is Superman. Number nine, guys. Let's find out why he dropped so far on the list. There's certainly some controversy brewing concerning this guy. Just who is buried in his tomb? Are Superman and Clark Kent actually two separate individuals? Did something wooey squooey? <laughs> what? Go on during zero hour? Well, we know the answer to that last question, at least. It appears that the entire DC Universe has gone topsy-turvy since Hal Jordan, or excuse us, Parallax, decided 
decided to take matters into his own hands. Now Superman is as confused as the rest of the DC Universe about his status and seems a bit desperate to nail it down. Things can get interesting for the Big Blue Boy Scout and certainly merit keeping an eye out. All right, and then in the number 10 spot is Vampirella. So 6, 8, and 10 are the top bad girls, but they're not top of the list yet. Who knows if they'll move. But speaking of the top, there's also a bottom. So we are going to take a look at Mort of the Month. Yes, and you'll recall that uh, in our 30th reunion roundtable, we actually had a whole section about who would the Mort of the Month be this time around, and our panel determined that, you know what, all the most unpopular characters have gotten revamped or reintroduced in Marvel movies and elsewhere, and suddenly it's cool to be a Mort. But one who might not be getting the spotlight anytime soon is Stripesy. Now, I have to admit, this was an issue I read a lot as a kid, and I remember reading about Stripesy in Mort of the Month, but I always called him Stripeasy, like Parcheesy, Stripeasy. I thought that is how you pronounced his name, but here's what they have to say about it. Whoa, take a gander at this striped candy ass. One would figure that Stripesy's powers was the ability to make barber poles and candy canes, but in actuality, as much actuality as you get in comics, he had no powers at all. His real name was Pat Dugan, and he became the Golden Age hero, Stripesy, upon hearing a person vocally wish that the American flag would come to life and fight the Axis powers. We figured someone wished the cat in the hat would come alive to tackle the Nazis. After fighting crime as the sidekick of his younger buddy, the Star-Spangled Kid, Dugan and the Kid joined teams like the All-Star Squadron and the Seven Soldiers of Victory. We recently got a glimpse of this awe-inspiring beacon of justice in the final issues of Infinity, Inc., but thankfully, only briefly, as he retired after one last mission. Jeez, you'd think the First Order business in Zero Hour would be to completely erase this jackass <laughs> down to the dental records from DC's continuity. Maybe DC's next continuity fixing story will do it. But yeah, Stripesy. And that does it for this edition of Wizards Half, episode 39.5. I hope you guys enjoyed all that Michael and I had to share with you here. And of course, we will be back with episode 40. Ooh, issue 40 was a big one for me, if you guys remember that Violator cover. And uh, yeah, it was a Halloween edition. And so we have some great guests on for this one. One is a first-time podcaster who you might be following somewhere on social media, 50 Cent Comic Collector, as well as a returning guest, Charlton Hero. What is their connection? Ooh, you'll have to tune in and find out. And of course, you'll want to keep checking out the YouTube page. We have new videos coming up and other videos being unlocked from our old Patreon video series. And of course, we'll have another edition of 90s Super Cinema being unlocked from the vaults as well for you to enjoy as we cover these 90s comic book movies. And so, until next time... Keep your books bagged and boarded.
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.